Okay, church, I got a question for you. Can you think of a time in your life that you were invited somewhere or to something and you actually felt included? You know, maybe you were invited to a derby party this week or you get, you know, uh, a dozen birthday invites to all of your kids' friends throughout the year. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about a time you were invited and you actually felt special. Like you were, you were seen and you're like, oh, I'm noticed and I'm wanted somewhere. I remember this vividly in middle school as I moved schools in middle school. If middle school isn't already tough enough, right? So we move schools and I'm in a new school. It's like seventh grade, uh, new people, new everything. Uh, and over the course of a few weeks, I remember the first time I was invited to hang out with a certain group of guys that, you know, I kind of wanted to. Uh, not because they were just cool, I just felt like we had a lot in common. And I remember how special I felt when I get asked the question, all, all, all nonchalantly, like, hey, what are you doing Friday? And internally, I'm just a big exclamation point, you know, but, but outwardly, I'm like, I don't know. I could probably cancel whatever it is, because like, I'm so busy, you know. Uh, but I was, I was included. I felt so special. And uh, after that weekend, I made some of the best friends, my school career, and some friends I still talk to to this day, okay? But at a certain point before then, right, I was just the new kid, and I wanted to fit in. I wanted to belong. And for a time, I was just lonely until I was invited in, okay? So that's kind of where I want your mind this morning. I want us thinking about that concept as it helps give us perspective today. And here is, here's our, 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 our statement. Here's our big idea. You'll see it on the screen, okay? To invite someone is to include someone. I know for some of us that just seems super basic. Like, really? That's, that's, you're leading off with that. I, I, it'll make sense, okay? To invite someone is to include someone. Do not underestimate the power of an invitation. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. And as you find your way there, I'll, I'll throw a couple of, of thoughts your way. Luke 14. We're going to see that there are two conversations happening in this text. The first is about who I include and invite to my table. That's the first conversation. Second conversation is about who God includes at his table, okay? The first conversation is about who I include and who I invite to my table, and the second conversation is about who God includes at his table. So here's the opening verse, and then we're actually gonna jump ahead a bit. We're just gonna read this first verse. Verse one from Luke 14, it says, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So kind of like last week, Jesus is once again dining with someone very different than himself. The Pharisees, if you don't remember, uh, the Pharisees, they were a religious sect who valued things like purity, obedience to the law, and separation from anyone who didn't. Now, we're skipping ahead to verse 12 right now, but it's because at this particular dinner, Jesus gives a couple of parables. He sat for a while. You know, he had time to give a couple of stories. And the second one will be our focus, but we aren't, uh, but what we aren't reading today is also fascinating. 
I want to encourage you to read it for yourselves, but essentially, just so you know, we're not glossing over things. Uh, essentially, Jesus challenges the Pharisees about the ways they observe the Sabbath. It's their day of rest. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we still help others, even on the Sabbath? That God's compassion doesn't take a day off, okay? So, skipping ahead now, though, to verse 12. Again, read what's in between uh, sometime. It's, 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 it's great. But let's look at this thought-provoking exchange and parable that, that he gives here. Picking up in verse 12. Here we go. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives. Some of us are like, I can do that, Jesus. That sounds great. If you're telling me not to include them, it's great. Or your rich neighbors. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know, man. Jesus says, if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, to our contemporary ears, that sounds fine and well. Yes, let's not forget the poor. Let's not forget the crippled or the lame or the blind. In fact, again, if I can, if I can avoid inviting my relatives over for dinner, that's even better, okay? Sorry, in-laws, Jesus says not to have you over. But what Jesus is saying is so much larger than that, and get this, what Jesus is saying is so much larger than that and way more offensive. Aren't you excited to get into this? He's, he's going to offend, he's offending people there, and he's about to offend us all, okay? Um, but here's why this is offensive. We'll, we'll get more into this in a bit. But think about this word repaid right there, okay? Uh, reciprocity. That's, that's, that's kind of the word here. And it means to pay back in the positive sense, okay? The culture of the day was built on the idea of reciprocity. This is more than Southern hospitality or kindness, but in that day, you were literally obligated. It was expected to have the people who invited you over, back over for dinner. You would pay them back every single time. And the quality of the meal should also be consistent, meaning, if you get invited to Jeff Ruby's downtown or ceviche right here on Barstown Road, you don't repay with Zaz Pizza Pub, okay? Nothing against Zaz, okay? I've been there, it's fine. But if you are given a five-star outing in that culture, you repay with a five-star invitation, okay? Uh, here's, here's another one. If you were invited to a large wedding for your neighbor's son or daughter, then it was expected that you would do what? You would just do the same. Even if your oldest child was five years old, hey, uh, a decade from now, a couple decades from now, when this one gets married, the, the expectation is still there. You still, years later, repay exactly the same. So with this also came a great deal of discrimination as five-star people would 
have five-star people over, and they could repay the gesture. Uh, Three-star people had three-star people. You get what I'm saying? Uh, Zero-star people had no one over because they were never invited anywhere in the first place. So this wasn't, this this is a really important concept, and I want you to get it. This isn't about giving hospitality. This is about trading hospitality back in that time. You do something for me, I must do something for you. It's not really out of the goodness of my heart. I am just paying this back. It is expected. This is the exchange taking place. So what Jesus now is getting at is that this isn't what grace is about at all. That's not how God treats us at all. Grace is not about certain expectations for both parties or only surrounding yourself with people who are in your tax bracket or share your values. Jesus is flipping this upside down and this is why what he is saying is so offensive. In verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the, and the blind. You could almost hear people around the table Okay, reclined in an awkward way, probably too. We learned that recently. But they're reclined and they're saying, but they can't pay me back. And Jesus says in verse 14, yeah, you will be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's another way of saying, hey, 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 God knows, God's watching and he will bless you for your generosity toward others who can't repay you. God will reward your generosity on another day. But let this sink in for a moment. God is interested in who you include in your life. This is, if, if, I, if I could create a big idea from what Jesus just said, this is my big idea. God is interested in who you include in your life. So what was offensive to those surrounding the table that night, Jesus now begins to offend you and I, okay? Something inside us just does not like this concept. We've talked about this at length these first couple of weeks already, but to invite someone is to include someone. And God is interested in who you include in your life. Now, let's base this on the categories that Jesus gives for us, okay? He mentions four different types of people that cannot pay you back. There's the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So if you truly invited them over, then they would likely experience a meal in hospitality they would never have had before or would probably ever have again. And it would be easy to think that this is only about hunger, but there is always more to it than that. Okay, church, this may come as a shock to our modern ways of living, but 2,000 some years ago, they did not have the technology that you and I have. Not only were they without smart refrigerators that you could program on your phone, they didn't have refrigeration for their leftovers. I know, like when you actually think about it, you're like, that's insane. Like, what, what an insane way to live. You wouldn't think so, because that's all you knew, okay? There's no place for leftovers. So, back then, if we don't finish our food in one sitting, 
we don't get to just walk over and put it in the fridge and save it for tomorrow, do we? Well, let's be honest, we don't, we don't save it for second dinner at 10 p.m. Like, like that, that, that's what happens to me, at least. I, I think I'll save it for tomorrow, and then second dinner calls me before, before bed. Anyway, but you get, what I'm, you, you get what I'm saying, okay? Back then, what would you do with your leftovers then? What would happen? Well, you would take some, and you would go down the street, okay? Let's use Bardstown Road, for example. You would go down Bardstown Road, and you would give what you have left over to anyone you encountered who was without. And so back then, there was a way to share food without including them in your home or in your life. Or you would let the needy know that you're having a meal, and at a certain time of the night, you will leave leftovers on your back door for them. They're welcome to come get them, but do not come before them. Back then, this was their way to share food without sharing life. So now, let's put what Jesus says into context. When Jesus is saying, send out those invitations to your banquet, send them to the poor and the crippled, the lame and the blind. For them, at that point, in that day, you could almost imagine the frustration. We already take care of them. I take leftovers to them. I don't need to have them in my home. I leave leftovers on my back door. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, Jesus is saying that that's not the goal. That's not what we're talking about here. Don't just invite them to come get your leftovers. Don't just invite them to just come pick up your leftovers off your back door. Don't just leave the leftovers. That's what everyone does. But instead, I'm calling you to bring them in. Invite them, include them, bring them into your home because this isn't just about food. Because when you invite someone to your table, you are including them in your life. To invite is to include. You get what's going on right now? That the minimum isn't generous and that's not what we're called to. Now, for our modern context, in thinking about this text all week, I think of the many people who we could invite and include in our lives who are not typically starving physically. There are people in our culture that get three meals a day, snacks in between. I mean, this weekend, drinks overflowing, right? But they are still starving spiritually, relationally, emotionally. And so just a word of warning, if you get involved in your community, you will discover how even the wealthy and the well-off are in desperate need. There are people in our community right here who are starving to know what a peaceful home is like because they've been raised in chaos. All they know is conflict or they, they, they've seen abuse for themselves. This is how everyone lives, right? This is just how like parents interact. This is just how it goes, right? They have no idea what a peaceful home is. There are people in our community that are starving for friendship. They're starving, not even, maybe not even for friendship, just to be noticed in the first place, just to be seen. They simply want to know that someone cares for them enough to smile and say hello. It doesn't take much, church but we have to get outside of ourselves to the needs of those 
around us because we have opportunities all around us each day, every week to simply see someone else. I mean, what would happen if our prayers turned from God, help me in this, help me with that, to God, give me your eyes to see others. Give me your compassion to see the hurting, to see the lonely around me. As I, as I think back over uh, 10 years in pastoral ministry, I realize some of the most important ministry moments or decisions, they did not come inside the four walls of a church or when I was holding a microphone and, and trying to lead a room. Some of the most important moments in my ministry career instead took place over a table. It took place when you just get to know someone or when they get to know you. I, I, I have been present with people and been able to pray for God's blessing over them. And then I have also been able to sit with people who I did not expect to, but absolutely blessed me and prayed for me because Christ meets you where you're at. It, it's not unique just to this space, but, but we need to see him at work outside of ourselves and outside of this. But we have some challenges, right? Well, I'm gonna add one challenge to your life really quick because you don't have enough, okay? I mean, yes, invite folks to church. Yes, okay, I'm, I'm never gonna say, hey, don't do that. Um, but what does it cost you to invite someone to just have coffee? Over, or, or over a meal? I wanna ask you to sacrifice this week because to invite someone to church is, again, fine, but you're already coming, you know? Uh, other than looking for them to show up, it's not really costing you anything. So I, I want to ask, do you have space this week for sacrifice for others? To be generous with someone else this week. I'm not saying that you have to put your hands on them and pray in tongues over them or, you know, don't, okay, don't do that, okay? Just be present with someone. Do something outside of these four walls that looks like Jesus, okay? And, and here is it's kind of the summation, all right? If, if, if you're the person taking notes and you're like, man, it's nice if, if he'd finish up. Okay, here you go, all right? Here it is. Follow Jesus and include people. I think we kind of get lost in this idea. Uh, hey, love God, love people. Yeah, I, I'll stick to it. But when you kind of just break it down, that word include is just really, really difficult. Because again, this isn't just about an invitation to a church gathering, but including people in your life. And yes, it may cost you a night this week. It may require some planning. But if you want to see life change in your community, I just want to encourage you, let's, let's do what Jesus did. Let's invite people. Let's include people from the community to know us to know you. And this is, this is what Jesus was saying then, and it really is just as relevant to us today to include people who can't pay you back. Include people who make you uncomfortable. As you consider your community, invest in people who are easily overlooked, easily forgotten, who could 
Who could you be generous with this week? Who could God bring into your path this week? You're just like maybe running into Wendy's down here. You're just running to grab a burger or something. But like if, if, if you're just a little outside of yourself, what if you just notice someone? I'm not saying you got to sit down with them and break bread, but what if you just notice someone? What if it's just a pleasant interaction? What if it's just something small, but it makes them feel seen and they feel like they could matter? God does a lot with a little, right? He does a whole lot with a little. Could we sacrifice just a little of ourselves this week? Because there are lonely people everywhere. Let's include them. So, if this is already kind of challenging to us, like, okay, man, I just, I don't know. I'm busy. We got baseball. We got soccer. We got, I don't know, cheerleading, whatever it is you all do with your kids. We, you know, we, we're just busy, man. I'm in school still. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Okay. So if it's already difficult for us to hear today, think about the people at the table back then. How would they respond to this? Okay. The the story continues in verse 15, uh, quoting the prophet Isaiah 600 years earlier, this man says, um, let's see, the Bible says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. This guy gets it, right? Like he, he, see, he, he knows what Jesus is saying. He gets what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, Jesus, I hear you. Be generous now. Be blessed later. I get it. And then this happens. Verse 16, Jesus replied with a parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Okay, got to stop again. Got to put this into context, okay? Because back then there was essentially two invitations, all right? Maybe the first one was something like, hey, can you come Sunday night? That seems pretty basic, right? I think we kind of do that too. Hey, what are you doing Sunday night? What are you doing later this week? What are you doing on this night, okay? Uh, you made future plans so people would know, okay? But preparations back then took so, so much longer than they do today. Because back then, what did they do? Here's a reminder no refrigerators. So the morning of your gathering, you head out to the field and you find your meat. And that meat was still eating its breakfast. Okay? I, I'm just saying, talk about a long process. You don't just go to the fridge and pick it out. This took all day. And so as you're invited, as you have invited your guests earlier in the week, and you by then knew who was coming, you prepare for this one meal all day long. And that would eventually lead you to the second invitation, okay? Maybe on maybe uh, on Monday, I say, hey, what are you doing Sunday night? Nothing. Come over for a meal, okay? So we have this expectation set, but there's no way for me to tell you when it's going to be ready. So I will send my servant to then tell you on Sunday night, everything's ready, come. You just need to be ready whenever that is, okay? So that's the second invitation. That's how that text ends right there. Come, for everything is now ready. Now, we don't quite do it like that today. We usually do the first invitation and then we show up, okay, right? Hey, coffee at, you know, 9 a.m., dinner at 7, right? And, and we just show up. And, and so uh, sometimes, sometimes 
There is a special occasion, though. Every, every now and then, there's a special occasion. Uh, for example, Christmas Eve at our, at our house. Uh, I enjoy doing everything I can to make dinner because I, I don't make dinner all that often in, in our home, but I just love the idea of taking on Christmas Eve and doing a larger, uh, I wouldn't call it a feast, but it's a very, very involved process. And I, by the way, I am not skilled in the kitchen, but shoot, I can follow a YouTube tutorial, okay? So that is what I have done the last few Christmas Eves. I cook everything and I do something I've never done before, okay? And this past year, in case you're taking notes and you want a good recipe, I did, I did uh, braised beef cheeks plated on top of mashed potatoes. And it was great, okay? But what online told me should take about five hours, I knew, no, 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 it's gonna take me 10 to 11. Because I know myself, okay? It's not that I'm easily distracted, I'm just not knowledgeable at all, okay? And so I have to Google everything on top of looking at this recipe, okay? Uh, so. Uh, I mean, for this particular meal, just cutting the fat off of four pieces of meat, and that's beef cheeks. Think of these cheeks, not the other ones, okay? The beef cheeks come from here, up on the cow, all right, right here, and, and they're really tender, they're, they're, they're really great. But the night before, I was cutting the fat off of these four pieces of meat, and I was seasoning them. It took over an hour and a half my hands were so cramped. I was very thankful we already wrapped all the presents because I would have been done, you know, by that point. But the next day after we opened presents, it's Christmas Day. And so I took them out of the fridge and then I pan seared them. And then I had to chop the carrots, the shallots, the celery and the garlic. I had to saute them and then I added the tomato paste and then I had to deglaze them with half a bottle of wine or if you're Baptist, uh, grape juice. And then... And then, I promise, there's a point to me telling you this, okay? But then I placed them into a larger pot with beef stock, rosemary, thyme, and bay leaves, and then I added the beef cheeks into it to simmer for over four hours. Uh, four hours later, I had to remove the beef, and then I had to wrap them in foil and set them aside. I strained all that liquid out, and then came the mashed potatoes, which then I had to peel, cut, boil. You're starting to realize, man, you, you really bit off more than you could chew. That did take 10 hours. But then I had to add all the necessary seasonings to make it just right. So remember the braise that I just said I strained? Well, I took that and I kept that. And then I added it to a pan and I reintroduced the beef and, and so I could warm it back up. Then, y'all are so done with this, then came the plating where I laid down the mashed potatoes and I placed the beef cheeks on top and I used the braise on the pan one last time to spoon them over the meat with chopped chives added on top. I also prepared some honey Dijon Brussels sprouts and I made the kids some homemade pizza. That sounds like a lot of work, man. And all I'll say is that it was absolutely worth it. I mean, I, I, I was doing it all day. It was, it was delicious. But I also got to hear my bride have a great day making memories with our kids. And that's great and all. Okay, but what's the point? You just walked us through all of that. Well, okay, that's quite the effort. That took a lot, right? Took all day. 
Now, now imagine, now imagine what Jesus is saying. Imagine all that work for one dinner with your guests. You are expecting to be there. You put in all that, the, the, the sweat and the hard work. And so Jesus, he's telling this parable. Imagine this person put in all this work, way more than I did on Christmas, okay? And then something awful happens because the party was prepared in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, well, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So imagine you work all day long. You have these expectations. You have your guests who all said yes. You've made these plans with so many people. You made all these preparations. You worked so hard all day long for a giant meal for others. And one by one, last minute, I can't come. And so maybe you're sitting here because you know what it's like. You were excited for something. You were excited to be out with friends, excited to go to something and, and last minute. Hey, sorry, not feeling well. Hey, sorry, I, I did this, I did that. Just so you know, these excuses that Jesus lays out, these excuses, they are meant to shame the host who worked hard to put this great banquet together, a table loaded with food, but everyone flakes. And so I think maybe some of our modern day excuses would be like looking at this guy and saying, sorry, I just bought a rental house. I need to go check on it now because I bought it without checking on it. It's not how that works. I just bought a new car and now I need to go test drive it. It doesn't make sense. That's, that's the point of what Jesus is saying here. This is all backwards. It, you, you don't buy the car and then you test drive it, right? The man doesn't buy the oxen and then go test it out, okay? He has to ensure the ox are all similar so he gets even rows, okay? But the shame on this host was absolutely massive. All the effort and no one cares enough to even show up. This is a sad parable, Jesus. What's the point of this? Like, what are you getting at? Jesus is the host in this parable. He has invited us to his great banquet and prepared for us to all come, to all be with him. But slowly, one by one by one, we make the excuse, sorry, Jesus, I just, I can't make it today. Jesus is literally illustrating how the people of his day had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for their Messiah to finally show up. He shows up, he offers a feast, but they publicly shame and humiliate him. Go back to verse one, Parish. look at verse one. They publicly humiliate him. Look at this. He was being carefully watched. Jesus knew exactly who he was telling this parable to. He knew exactly the words he was speaking. He knew exactly who his audience was. 
He is this guest of honor in this Pharisee's house, but he's being carefully watched because there are people there documenting everything so they can shame him and build a case against him later. But the parable doesn't end there because Jesus isn't isn't satisfied for all these no-shows. Look what he goes on to say in verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. I mean, would it you, right? Would it you? He became angry. And he ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus is saying, if you want to make excuses as to why you won't come, I'll have others. If I'm not important to you, I will host others who want to be with me. If they don't want my company, I will find people who want my company. You can almost hear the urgency of this this host saying, go out quickly, this food's getting cold. I prepared all of this Please just go find people. Bring me the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. I want this house full. Now, I do believe sitting in this scene where Jesus is telling this parable, I do believe some of the guests that night, they heard this parable and they understood it and it it captured their hearts. And I do believe some of them probably open their hearts to Jesus in that moment. I believe some of the Pharisees there maybe embraced Jesus, but we do know for a fact that plenty of them did not. And Jesus is saying, if you won't welcome me, I'll be welcomed by others. I'll invite that guy, Levi, who you despise. You know Zacchaeus, the guy who steals from you and does all these horrible things? Those awful tax collectors you despise, I'll have them. If you won't have me, I'll have them. I'll invite them to my table. That woman sitting at the well with a sinful sexual history that you don't even want to be around. You don't even want to go near her. You don't even want to touch her. I'll have her at my table too. The thief hanging on the cross next to me. Pharisees, if you won't have him, I will. This is a powerful and relevant parable because there are plenty of us, if I could just speak frankly, religious traditionalists that get drunk on our own piety and self-righteousness, that we reject Jesus and we reject giving God's love to others. But if you won't have me, I will invite others. After the resurrection of Jesus, a bunch of Greek and Roman pagans who believe in gods and goddesses and pagan worship, these people drenched in demonic superstition who who idolize sex, they make up the early church. Jesus says, Pharisees, if you're not gonna dine with me, I will find others. And as you read the New Testament, you will find that these people are often referred to simply as Gentiles. That is non-Hebrew people. And Jesus says, 
My table will be open to them all. This is the good news. The good news of Christ should go beyond this table with religious rule-following Pharisees and include everyone else that we would prefer to exclude. Because I know it'd be easy for me to now say, okay, church, now it's time to invite in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. But I don't think that's where we need to place ourselves in this. Church, you are the poor. You are the crippled. You are the blind and the lame. That's, that's you. That's me. That's us. We are the poor, spiritually bankrupt. We are the crippled. We are those limping and struggling through life, grasping at other things to give us purpose and meaning and identity. We are the blind. We are, we are blind to the harm that we cause others. And we are the lame. We are hindered by things done to us and the things that we do to ourselves. And yet, this is the beauty of, of the gospel. And yet, Jesus wants his table surrounded with us. And for Jesus, he wants to include us around his table. But that also means that these are the people God wants to include around his who I include around my table should reflect the table that Jesus has made. Even more, I should include others because at one point, someone included me. If you are here today and you call yourself a follower of Christ, at one point, someone invited you. Have a seat. Table's open. At one point, you were far from God. And yet, Eventually, maybe you stumbled your way to that seat. But you pulled up a chair. We are not. We are not to police who comes to that table. Otherwise, we receive this parable. We're on the wrong end of this parable. But instead, we invite all. And the parable concludes... I know that, that's, not the, that's not the finish, and that's, that's incredible, right? Like, ah, oh, that's a good finish. No, the parable concludes here, verse 22. There's even more love to be seen. Watch this. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but highlight this, but there is still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is a beautiful picture of, of how Jesus wants to include us, include you, include your enemy at his table. But oh my goodness, this is so offensive to the people sitting around the table listening to this parable. Jesus is saying not a single religiously minded pharisaical law worshiper who rejects me will enter the kingdom of God. 
Instead, it will be those that accept me, those who, who, who want to sit with me. No matter their history, their economy, their sin, or their status, or their social status, those are the people I will include, and that's what the love of God looks like. So today, if you feel far from God, today is the day to take that seat that he has set aside for you. Not a cleaned up version of you, but just simply you. For others of us who have already accepted that invitation, you know, we, we, we see ourselves, we're, we're at the table with Christ. I'm a follower. We're already seated at the table. Well, to quote verse 22, there's still room. There's still room. God is interested in who you include in your life. And we have a massive opportunity, don't we? Parish, throw up that first map for us. And so we have a, a map of our city. As, as, as you look around, you see all the communities, all the neighborhoods. And so it's easy almost to be overwhelmed by the size of this because like that's, that's a lot of people. That's a lot. Uh, so where are we in this? Where, where is this church located? Go, go ahead to the next one. Um, that's us. Just a small part of a greater story I believe God is wanting to tell in our city. That's this neighborhood right here. I'm sure you're represented elsewhere on the map too, but I just want you to know like this city is, is giant and there are people far from God. There are flawed people just like you and I who need an invitation to this table. We don't have to police their personal lives, their social faux pas, their histories, their sins, or, or anything like that. We simply take them and we invite them. Hey, I saved a seat for you. And so, yeah, I mean, invite people to church. Absolutely, yeah. But more than that, if I could be a pastor that says like, hey, but more than inviting people to church, could you invite them into your life? Invite them into your world. 